Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So I'll be reading mostly from the book. Um, and I used to not like this book. Um, <clears throat> and it took me a while to understand that it's actually very well written. Uh, it's it's written in the spirit of the Buddhist teachings in that there is a lot of repetition in here and there's also a lot of connecting things with each other. And the Dharma is like that. Um, when you get involved with the Dharma, you start to see that it's it's a network, and there are quite a few nodes in this network, but they are all interconnected in, in intricate ways. And as you get through the repetitions, you start to see more and more of these connections. And it solidifies the whole. Uh, it, it, um, it makes it easier to, to be on the path, to follow the path. But you need those repetitions to to keep bringing you back to see more. Um, and and John has done a, a masterful job in in writing this. Uh, this was originally intended as as a, a companion book to the larger book, but it's it's immensely helpful in in starting and maintaining practice. There is a good reason why we do this every year, because um, even for for people that have done this for a number of years, um, it is just necessary to revisit and revisit and go back to the basics and deepen your understanding. So thank you, Jim. <coughs> So these first two factors are right view and right intention. And right view in one way is your compass on, on this journey. This is what sets the direction. 
This is your, your, your guiding light. But it's also your destination. This is where you're going to end up. This is the far shore of, of the trip. In John's words, right view is initially the perspective that your views of life have been lacking understanding, lacking wisdom. This lack of wisdom has given rise to craving and clinging, leading to unhappiness and stress. Stress is a distracted mind state born of ignorance. Preoccupation with stress is the distraction that keeps one in ignorance. Without the initial in perspective that wisdom and understanding in the context of the Four Noble Truths is lacking, it will be impossible to develop the understanding leading to cessation of stress. Acknowledging this can be difficult at first, but this is your initial right view, is that you don't understand for no truth. But you'll have to take this step first because if you don't acknowledge your lack of understanding, you can never get to the goal of gaining understanding and ripening that understanding. In the Buddha's words, and what is right view? Knowledge with regard to stress, knowledge with regard to the origination of stress, knowledge with regard to the cessation of stress, and knowledge with regard to the path of practice that develops the cessation of stress. This is called right view. So right view brings us in contact with the Four Noble Truths. This is, this is the foundation. Everything rests on that. Everything ends up in that. So our initial step on the path is ripening this understanding of the Four Noble Truths. In the Buddha's words again, and how is right view the forerunner? One discerns wrong view as wrong view, 
and right view as right view. This is one's right view. describes the ignorance and the consequences of wrong view in his words. There is nothing giving, nothing offered, nothing sacrificed. In his words, that is, that clinging, craving, desire, and aversion to objects, views, and ideas are maintained and not given up. So the wrong view here is not giving up your your ignorance. things that reinforce our, our, our view of ourself. In that ignorant view, yes, there is always arrogance and pride and, and anger and um, even the the entanglement, you know, the emotional entanglement with with the world around us, is again based in 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 wrong view, in a wrong view of self, which is another aspect of of wrong view, it's, and right view. It is a view of who we think we are. Here again, you know, you see how those those connections are are made. That it's it, you're not talking about you know one view of right view. Mm -hmm. This there are subtle differences in meaning. That how we relate wrong view to um, to impermanence. Not not willing to see impermanence. That's wrong view. Also, how we relate wrong view to our our view of self. How we relate the wrong view to uh, to suffering, to dukkha. So, right view here has three connections to the three marks of existence. Um, it's you know, and the more you dive into this, the the, the more uh, jewel-like this this the whole Dharma becomes, you know, all these facets come into, into, into being. Uh, it's wonderful stuff.
in John's words. Initially, wrong view is simply recognized. As right view is developed, actions originating in, in wrong view are abandoned. It is wrong view that continues to, to develop karma, and it is wrong view that, due to karma, causes rebirth. Wrong view is caused by ignorance. Right view is an expression of wisdom. And then here the Buddha connects it to other factors of the path in the Buddha's words. One tries to abandon wrong view and to enter into right view. This is one's right effort. One is mindful to abandon wrong view and to enter and remain in right view. This is one's right mindfulness. Thus, these three qualities, right view, right effort, and right mindfulness, run and circle around right view. And again, the Buddha relates it to other factors of the path in the Buddha's words. In a person of wrong view, wrong resolve or wrong intention comes into being. In a person of wrong resolve, wrong speech. In a person of wrong speech, wrong action. In a person of wrong action, wrong livelihood. In a person of wrong livelihood, wrong effort. In a person of wrong effort, wrong mindfulness. And in a person of wrong mindfulness, wrong concentration. And in a person of wrong concentration, wrong knowledge. In a person of wrong knowledge, wrong release. This is how from wrongness comes failure, not success. So just going down the factors of the Eightfold Path, you see how in this, just in this linear fashion, they, they have each one cascades into the next one. And, you know, conversely, you can go from right view into right intention and go further down the path. Um, again, uh, another one of these network connections in, in the Dharma. Um, as you start on your practice and you're starting to under, have small understanding of <clears throat> how suffering is in the world and what your contribution to that suffering is and how you can end it even in a small measure, that starts to affect your actions in the world.
and from what starts to affect your speech first and then it starts to affect your actions and it starts to affect your livelihood and further down the line and all of this is then supported by your practice of uh, meditation giving you the concentration to do these things and to be mindful of all these factors of, of the path and in the end the task associated with this factor of the path is to be mindful of wrong view and enter and remain in right view. We could spend a week just talking about right view. It's, it's the beginning and it's the end of, of the path. It doesn't just loop from one to the other, but it is connected to all the other factors of the path, just as all the other factors of the path are connected to each other. But without right view, without a, even a beginning understanding of what you're doing and why you're doing it, um, you cannot really travel the path. It is, uh, you'll be stumbling. Um, but you have your Sangha, and you have your meditation to support these things. The second factor of the path is right intention. For quite some time I practiced a sevenfold path because I kept forgetting right intention. <laughs> I, just did it for, I can't tell you for how many years. But it's important because you have to have an intention when you, when you do something successful. Otherwise, you're flailing around. In John's word, right intention is having the intention to abandon all views that would continue ignorance and stress. Right intention is the intention to abandon all clinging and craving. Right intention is also the intention to abandon ill will and all harmful thoughts, words, and deeds. So that's what's in your in your knapsack when you go down the road. This this is this is the intention that you bring with your with your practice. Um, It's not an intellectual pursuit. It is a real intent to
to honor that foundation in in your in your life. the beginning it can take the form of a focus on on your own ignorance in a gentle way because it's the intention to abandon craving and clinging So it's also an intent to, to recognize these things in your life. You have to bring that into your right intention. However, it's, it is important to do that in a, in a very gentle way because it can, it can very easily flip over to wrong intention where you're just, you know, all you can do is, is emphasize on what you're doing wrong. It's, it's important to see that what you're doing is not helping you. But so easily we fall into the trap of making that the only focus that we're doing something wrong, we're doing something wrong, I can't get it right, uh, please be gentle, this is, you're just recognizing things, this is not working, you know, go back to, go back to the teachings and gain an understanding of what is working. This is, this is what the Buddha set out to do, to find out you know, how he could make this work. He was, he was a thoroughly unhappy man for a long time. Um, but recognized that and set out to understand this unhappiness in him. And he did that with a, a fierce intent. It, it's, it's hard to recognize how how all uh, how all encompassing his his intent was. Uh, he did not stop at anything to to abandon all that clinging and craving once he understood that where, where, the, where the trouble lay. Um, in the Nagara Sutta, you can, um, between the lines, read that, that struggle.
me read some more of John's words here. Right intention, holding the firm intention to abandon craving and clinging, and develop the experience of the cessation of suffering, strengthens right view. Right intention can be seen as an expression of right view. And here he says something wonderful. The entire transformative nature of the Dharma rises from right intention. Um, I don't even know what to add to that. Um, because right engagement with the Dharma is is truly a, a, a transformative thing. It 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 turns your life. It, you always started from Nobody gets here that's perfectly happy with their life. That's just not the case, you know. Everybody comes here with, with their unhappiness, with their baggage. And, and when you engage with the Dharma in a, with a true intent, uh, it is truly transformative. It may be a long process, but it is steady, and um, the end result is is just completely different from where you started, um, and it, it and it supports itself. Um, yeah, to call this transformative is is uh, is almost an understatement. That's the speck of dust. Yeah. You start with having some vision, but eh, it's a little blurred. Yeah. But but there is but there is there is this initial I'm looking for something. Uh, and and there's also this I recognize the true thing. You know, we've all been uh, we've all been promised things. You know, that's this this will turn your life around. You know, you will get rich and famous this way. Um, and um, sooner or later, you find out that that's not quite the case. But get involved with the Dharma. And it only gets better as you go along. John's words. Without right intention, the virtuous and concentration factors of the path cannot be developed. The ego self has too much invested in wrong views to put all wrong views aside without the strong resolve of right intention. 
the impermanent ego personality will not yield if wrong views are not abandoned and right views developed. Holding the intention to abandon all wrong views naturally brings the mind to the virtues and concentration factors of the path. Hey, Ron? Oh, yes, John. Can I, can I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but could I at this point? Um, this is this whole what you're talking about. You're real, you're drilling down to such an important point. This, right intention is is practice at the point of contact. You hear me talk about that often. Correct. Um, that we, the Dhamma is is a practice of wise restraint at the point of contact. And so what Ron is wonderfully explaining is right view and right intention point us to that point and also to the entire Eightfold Path as the limiting factor of the Buddhist Dhamma. Meaning it's the, the Eightfold Path is the factor that provides wise restraint. It provides the framework and the guidance for our Dhamma practice, if you will, the envelope for our Dhamma practice. Why is that so important? Why did the Buddha te teach an eightfold path as opposed to an infinite path? Well, an infinite path is what has developed, and it was also present during the Buddhist time. In other words, the so-called spiritual religious seekers of the Buddhist time and our time are always grasping after more usually rooted in the need for more intellectual knowledge. What the Eightfold Path does is it limits our practice and it limits what knowledge we're grasping after. And how do we know what that is? It's an Eightfold Path. It's not a Ninefold Path, it's not an Infinite Path, and it's also not a Onefold Path, meaning it's just meditation only. It's a clearly defined and now well-taught Eightfold Path. I guess the important thing that I'm saying and what Rama I think is teaching is to recognize the limitations of this practice because that's exactly what it's, it's about. It's about limiting, grasping after, and clinging to. Thank you, Rama. Can, can I continue on that for one second? Yes, Kevin. When you were teaching that, what John just said is that you were sort of flushing out that, that right intention is this is where we encounter the beginning of restraint, the practice of restraint, a very, very gentle restraint in the beginning. And that's, you know, we sort of have to own that. We have to give something up to continue this path. It's mm -hmm. not, we have to give up the infinite outcomes and right. narrow it down to eight things we're going to work on here to yeah. lead us to the stream, which is, is a release. So I, I really liked how you were doing that. You were this is where you know I was feeling that we come in contact with restraint for the first time in the practice. Mm -hmm. We didn't know something, and now we have to actually look at what we're doing and yeah. be honest and not do it anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, and, and the, the, that 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 honesty um, is um, is really important in in the path. Um, and it's it's almost the the prerequisite for for restraint is that you you have to be honest with yourself that a this is necessary and b um, what I was doing before wasn't working um, and yes the the the, the 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 limitation of the eightfold path isn't isn't uh, <coughs> It's the initial restraint, actually. 
uh, that that we're dealing with. That this is the path. You know, stick with this, and um, because the tendency of the mind is to want to do more, to want to know more, um, to want to fix more things. Um, and the Buddha gives us a specific task here, a series of specific tasks, but they are specific. We will run more into other ways of restraint in, in the next section, in in the virtuous factors, right speech and right action, and right livelihood, that that in a way is is very practical restraint. But in right view and right intention, we're we're restraining ourselves in in our, in, in our direction. Um. Excellent, Bob. Yes. Yes, thank you. We also, we talked about this a little bit already, um, in how our, how right intention is connected to this, this false idea of self. give you John's words on this. Clinging and craving arise from a misunderstanding of what is a self and how a self has arisen. Misunderstanding the nature of self develops an ego personality that suffers in ignorance from birth, sickness, aging, death and rebirth. It is this personality that the Buddha identifies as anatta. Anatta means not-self or non-self. This is often misunderstood to imply that awakening is the extinguishing of being. Awakening is the extinguishing of an insubstantial, impermanent personality that has risen from wrong views. It is this personality that is subject to distraction confusing and suffering of stress. Right intention is the intention to abandon all views of an impermanent self so that right view may be developed completely.
your ego personality, strong resistance to letting go of wrong views can only be overcome by the foundation developed initially by right view and right intention. Right view is your entry into the Dhamma practice. Right intention sets and holds your direction. The task associated with right intention is be mindful of wrong intention and enter and remain in right intention. I'm going to end this here. Um, these things are very intricate. They're very interconnected. Um, 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour is not nearly enough to, to see all the connections. Uh, and it is important to keep coming back to this. Um, because without right view and right intention, you will not have a proper practice. It will not lead to the goal. And that's all that I'm going to say about this. Thank you all. Um, John, anything you would like to add to this? Uh, you're still muted, sorry. <coughs> sorry about that. Uh, well done, Ram. Um, just, a, just a wonderful exposition on the, the wisdom factors of the Eightfold Path. And uh, you really uh, laid the foundation as the, these are the entry point and the, um, uh, the ongoing focus moment by moment of the Eightfold Path of, of Dhamma practice in this moment. I'm either mindful of and practicing the intention to recognize and abandon ignorance and its manifestation for a mind. And so this is the one that sets our practice. Um, when I finally understood what the Eightfold Path was, not just a bunch of words, not just a bunch of, of pleasant concepts such as, um, such as broad mindfulness, uh, even something as right speech, which people will hear and will say, okay, I, I'm a Buddhist if I don't lie and get angry at people. Or we know that even something like right speech develops to very, very subtle levels. Uh, but in general, this is the path. This is this is what the Buddha taught, an eightfold path and nothing else. And once I got that to this thick day and stopped grasping after everything else that I wanted it to be, meaning I wanted it to be a chanting practice, a vowing practice, a visualization practice, a praying practice, a wishing practice, a hoping practice, a next life practice, an infinite practice. Once I could recognize and abandon all those things that I had uh, attached myself to from my sincere but misguided other practices, then it made sense and then it actually worked. But there was also a period of undoing where there were subtle things that were outside of the Eightfold Path that I thought I could hold on to that wouldn't, they wouldn't matter. But because there was something that I was, that I created an identity over, and you touched on that, the ego personality, when it puts, when it invests a thought into anything, places a value on that thing because of the energy behind the thought. I looked at it, it's mine, now I own it. And we do that with everything. Obviously, most of the things in life are somewhat insignificant. 
that whatever we do to create an identity over can and must be addressed within this framework of the Eightfold Path, then it can be seen clearly and simply abandoned. And so we could all a common peaceful mind. I want to hear what everybody else has to say. That's enough for me tonight. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Joe. Yes, I, I remember how, how these old views um, crept into, in, in my case, uh, they kept creeping into my, uh, my jhana practice. Um, and um, they're quite tenacious. Um, and it, it takes, again, um, that right intention to, uh, to restrain those, those those old habits. Yeah. If I could say just one more thing, one of the reasons why we why we teach and practice within the sangha, the reason why we have our, our, our purpose statement and our sangha guidelines is just for this purpose, so that during a, a Dhamma class, we're not getting sidetracked by all those subtle things that we're attached to, and we're not trying to compare that with, or, or even get justification for that. We stay focused on the sangha, on the dhamma, within our sangha, and it works, doesn't it? Yep. You know, we don't have to bring all these things that we're talking about. It should be recognizing abandoned and discuss them and the sides, them and compare them. Right. We just don't bring them into the beginning. So. And so we can deal, yeah, we can deal with those things on our own time. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Jane, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm fine, Ron. Thank you. Thank you for the teaching. Um, I look at the Dhamma as a gift, um, starting with the Buddha and then the work John did and the work that the teachers do to present it to me. I mean, that's that was given to me. And I look at right intention as where I first have to really put in the work. I mean, I, I have to have the wisdom to recognize that this is, it's going to take a full, you know, 100% effort, hour by hour, minute by minute. Um, to do what I need to do. So I, like I said, I look at right intention is where I really have to come into to do the work. So thank you. Thank you, Jay. See you again. Nina. Hello. Hi. Um, I'm going to be quiet right. this evening. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, Shreyas. Hi, everyone. Uh, as I said before, it's such a special night, the full moon night. Mm. And as uh, Ron was speaking, and thank you for such a lovely discussion of the Dharma and the uh, Eightfold Path, a few things came up for me, which are um, I'm going to just uh, go through. I just made a couple of notes. So when we think of, you know, the, the Buddhist teaching, there's John, um, you know, uh, continually reminds us to come back to the foundation of the Dharma, which is the Four Noble Truths, and also dependent origination. And um, you, you, you brought up, you know, this in word interconnectedness. And when we think of those two words, dependent origination, and if we think of it as interdependence, interbeing, or interconnectedness, it all means that we exist in relationship to one another and to all phenomena in the world. So it's very, very powerful in that we are not existing as separate entities, cells, but we exist 
in relationship to one another, which is really, for me, uh, a key uh, uh, understanding of um, uh, dependent origination. And there's this image uh, that's called the Indra's net, where we're all kind of like jewels that connected up throughout, you know, if you want to think of it in our local little area or in the, on the earth to all phenomena in the universe, however you want to imagine, but it's like jewels that reflect one another and connect to the nodes. So, yeah, uh, I, I see that, I is, see that point uh, uh, brought up very often in modern Buddhism, uh, but I don't see that in the Buddhist teachings per se. Um, his, his connection uh, is much more on the individual practice and the, um, the teaching of dependent origination is, um, is very easily misunderstood that way. Um, in, in his teachings, uh, starting with the Nagara Sutta and, and the Paticca Sampada Sutta, um, these are very discrete steps in the, in the mind itself, in the individual's mind. Um, I, I've, I've heard the, the explanation as uh, the, the total interconnectedness of, of all people and all beings <clears throat> Um, but I find that uh, not reflected in the Buddhist words itself. Uh, and we may, you know, um, disagree on that point, but the teaching here is very specifically that we are discrete beings and that the Dhamma is practiced as individuals. Yes, we have the Sangha to, to support us in these individual practices, um, but I have never found much, much help in, um, in seeing this, this overarching connectedness, because for me it takes away my personal responsibility for what I do, and that that is that is my guidance for my practice. That this is my that I am responsible for my own ignorance, and I am responsible for developing the wisdom that is required for the cessation of my suffering. Is John? Robert, if I could too. The, um, and uh, Shreyas just joined us. The, we get into dependent origination in a few more weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is, uh, there's, there's nothing that I found in dependent origination or any of his other presentations in different senses that um, points to interconnectedness or interbeing. Uh, that's something that has developed over the years. And it does contradict what the Buddha taught to see the discreteness of all things. Uh, but again, Trace, we're, we're going to get to that. Uh, depending on the <laughs> that there isn't discreteness. Pardon me? That, that there is, that we don't exist as dis discrete selves. Well, okay, so, well, I'm, I'm gonna, Trace, I don't mean to interrupt you. Um, that, that, 
we, we would argue that point. That's not what we teach here. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. So we, uh, it's an interesting part of the Buddhist Dhamma. Uh, yeah. And again, the, the, the idea of interdependent, and, and uh, just to make the point, Ram didn't, didn't use the word interconnection. He just talk, talked about the connection that we make through clinging. Uh, interconnection, interdependence, interbeing, interconnectedness have no relationship to the word dependent. It's a separate, dependent and interdependent are two different words and two different meanings. And the Buddha never taught anything that would promote clinging of any type, especially clinging to the idea of one, one organism that we're a part of. He just didn't do that. He taught us that we're individual human beings and should recognize that human life. Uh, again, I, I, I understand you just began, begun with Australia. We're going to get to this in six weeks. Not six weeks, in about three weeks. So. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Freyas. But you know, I just wanted to make a, another point. That, yeah. um, we, uh, ultimately, we also understand the Buddha's teaching that we don't need to believe in what he taught. We don't need to believe in the Dhamma. We can experience it through direct experience, as you were saying once. So I'll just leave that. And um, the Buddha was a human being. He wasn't a divine presence. He wasn't a cosmic being like all of us. Right. So we have that same opportunity to um, awaken, uh, just as the Buddha did. Yes. And I just want to end with this really happy, very important verse in the Dhammapada, verse 178, about the immensity of what we are all doing or uh, of the path of which I follow. Far better than sovereignty of the earth, or far better than going to the abodes of the gods, or far better than ruling supreme of the entire universe, is the attainment of the fruits of stream entry. Thank you. That's what Ron just spoke about. Yes. The beginning of stream entry is the beginning of right view. Thank you for your
So it's almost this inverse relationship to the to the more intent and the more right view you get, the smaller the ego self gets, and the more crystallized <laughs> the the path becomes. So thank you. Yeah, and, and the limiting factor of of the eightfold path is is important here too. You know, it it, it gives the the ego just less uh, chance yeah. to go you know off into the universe somewhere. Yeah, I, 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 that's the other thing too. Historically, like I'm, I'm, I'm an academic at heart. I'm mm -hmm. you know, professionally, I, that's my, my job is to be very ego, you know, meticulous, calculating, blah 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 blah. This this path is finite. It's it's four noble truths. It's an eightfold path. That's it. That's it. I, I don't need to go outside of that. Right. Yeah. It's it's liberating in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, thank you. Thank you. Don, good to see you again. Can you hear me now? Yep, I can hear you now. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I haven't been with this group in a while now. It's, it's, right. it's great to be back here. And uh, I'm enjoying... I'm enjoying a, a nighttime meditation also. Um, I, I, I have kept up my meditation practice Good. and um, um, it's nice to be hearing, hearing um, what I'm hearing tonight. And, and um, you know, I have some basic understandings, but you know, I, I don't really want to say too much. Um, because, you know, uh, uh, I certainly have a lot of listening to do. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I'm interested in, in, you know, someday transcending my own ego personality. I understand pretty much what the ego personality is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that strategy that I developed growing up and... Yep. and, and you know all those things that I've clung to, and all those, and all those things I still cling to. Right. Um, and that has to, that has, that have to do with my ego personality, right. um, envy, greed, avarice. I mean, there, there's a lot. There's a lot there. Yep. And 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 I, and I think what I've heard tonight uh, from Brian also was was really really helpful. Keep it simple. You know, keep keep within the keep within the structure of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's that's pretty much what I'm going to focus yeah. on right now. Yeah, and if you have the book, um, please uh, you yeah. know pick it back up again. Um, we're we're going through it uh, chapter by chapter um, as much as you can. Try try and follow us because it's it's uh, it'll be a good foundation for for a a restarting of of a practice. But thank you for joining us. Thank you. Matt. Excellent, Ron. Thank you very much. And uh, John, thank you. Um, the limiting factor. That's what I'm. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm really chewing on. So, thank you. Kevin. Ron, uh, thank you very much. I think uh, you you helped us see sort of through that honesty part we were talking about that. Mm -hmm. In right intention, this is where we begin to the process of purifying our thoughts. You know, we, we, we start to really 
get an idea of how our mind is working and how we're oh, creating. Yeah, we're not working, right? And and that's that's what I thought of the purifying of thoughts and and also with regards to right view, you did a really um, great job of of sort of defining this boundary. It's as if you come to a riverbank mm. and you know we've come with all of our other history and beliefs and the infinitude as we've talked about you can keep walking left right but there's still a river there for it's it's you're not you have to go into the water to get in the stream and, and you can try you know you, you, there's just it, it like matt said the, the limiting factor it's yeah. it's got to be through right view put your gaze you on, have to on go the, through uh, right view on the other shore yes if not you're you're, you know, it's it's not real. It's it's a delusion. It's a trap. Yep. You're in the weeds. Yes. You can't see that far shore unless you're in right field. Okay. Right. Hey, Rob. The glasses of right field. Yes, John. Is it from Jay or Nina? Uh, yes. Oh, really? okay. We did. Where was that? Mapping. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we, won't, we won't call it wrong view. <laughs> well, I missed it. I'll go back and listen to it. Laura? Hi, Rob. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, like Kevin was saying, this is, uh, that's what I kind of thought of too, that this is a way of purifying my mind um, from all the polluted thoughts that are from my own contribution or from the outside world and the entanglements of the outside world. So thank you for kind of um, also you did such a great job at um, presenting this because it's not just concepts that we're going over. It's not an intellectual exercise, which sometimes I can get caught up in when I'm learning something new. But it's really like you said, the compass, like right view forerunner, it's like a physical and mental, I guess, orientation like a, of my body and my mind, um, you know, to understanding the nature of my own suffering or my contribution to it or a situation of suffering that involves other people and how that's impermanent, but, you know, it is possible to, um, therefore it is possible to, to end that. Path. So, thank you for presenting it that way. It made a lot of sense. Yeah. And you'll find that as you go back again at some chapters, you know, it's worthwhile reading it four times. <laughs> um, and and that, that seems boring, but because um, there is so much packed into right view. That it's it's um, and, and you know you, there'll be more truth and happiness courses uh, and and there'll be other things that in the course of, of the rest of the year uh, all of a sudden pop up and think oh there's right view again you know? and so you're doing great and it's it's always good to see you here. Yes. John, um, hey, uh, getting a lot out of what everybody has to say, and 
right intention, understanding the, you know, the four noble truths and uh, what is our intention. And if stress is continuously occurring, is our like our intent to you know become awakened um, and maybe cut out some of the things that are causing the stress or identifying the continual stressors that coming up so like the purification that you were talking about mm -hmm. and, you know and all the other things so it was, uh, it was very useful for me right now and uh, it's a, a honing process right yeah. in the beginning of the of the Sabbatana Sutta he says this is the path for the purification of being yeah and it nails it down right there not wanting too much Exactly. So that that's why it has to be the beginning of the path because it kind of gives us makes us become a seeker, you know, to, to look for more, to find the answer. Uh, and in right view, we actually we start understanding, especially with the Buddha's words. It's it's, it's very helpful that he has it all organized for us, and it, mm -hmm. you know, it's right there. It's a, a skeleton to yeah. you know, and so we can understand well, and and uh, with right view that we can see that. 
everything is in the world is impermanent. We're impermanent. And this ego personality within ourselves is the thing that's actually interpreting everything all around us. And it's trying to make make everything be something more than, than it is. Making ourselves be a permanent being. And it's not possible. <laughs> and so this is this is where the problem comes in. And so understanding that and understanding that there is a, there is a um, an end to suffering. Then you have the intention. The mm -hmm. intention is developed there because all of a sudden, now you want to end it. You want to end your suffering. Mm -hmm. And so, with right intention, now you now you can practice meditation and make your mind calm, peaceful, to further your right view, so that you can mm -hmm. act a point of contact, restrain yourself from still have the intention to stop the stress from entering within you and interpreting everything incorrectly. So, that's the way I looked at it. Thank I you. Did, uh, what did John say? John? <laughs> oh, good. Thank you, John. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> Dustin. What? What? Thank you, John. Yeah, I'm going to also be quiet tonight. <laughs> good. Thank well you. said, Dustin. Thank well you. said. <laughs> <laughs> That's someone who gets right attention. <laughs> That's it. All right. Thank you all. Uh, wonderful evening. We will end with the Karaniya Metta Sutra. This is what <clears throat> was instructed to some Bhikkhus who were having a hard time in the world and thought that they could not practice. And the Buddha told them what their intention should be. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward, gentle in speech, humble and not conceited contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature, let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Intending, may all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, emitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any beings in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. 
This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.